Welcome to another episode of On the Highway. I'm your host, Megan Anderson, and each week we bring you an expert in the mortgage and real estate realm. You can learn how to navigate the housing and real estate highway to take your business to the next level. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's get driving. Welcome to another MBS Highway live monthly webinar series. I'm one of your hosts, Megan Anderson, along with Barry Habib. And today we have a legendary market manager. In fact, he's in the top 10%. Now he's currently a founding partner with Finance Technologies, a global macro alternative investment firm. He's worked on Wall Street most of his career, spanning both credit markets and equity markets. Some of the firms that he's worked for include HSBC, Donaldson, Love, and Janrette, Independence Investments, and most notably at BlackRock as a portfolio manager where he grew an equity portfolio from $2 billion to $10 billion. Now, after BlackRock, he founded Ocean Square Asset Management. Join me in welcoming Edward Dowd. Well, Megan, I, you know, it's only a difference of $4 billion, but Ed, I think you took that to $14 billion, didn't you? Correct. I said <laughs> <laughs> What's four billion amongst friends, though? Uh, Ed, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. This has been something I've been looking forward to. You know, we've had some great discussions. We've got some mutual friends, certainly. Uh, uh, Lacey Hunt is someone that we both uh, are, are friends with, but uh, we were introduced to each other by Tony Robbins. Correct. That was a great uh, little seminar where I met you and got to know you. It's been it's been an honor. Yeah, it, it's it's been it's been great. We we're actually at Tony's house together. And uh, Tony put us together, thought we, we'd uh, we'd become quick friends. And sure enough, we were. I actually listened to your presentation. I was mesmerized. I loved it on so many fronts. Uh, so let's let's start off uh, with, with some of your, your observations. Even before we got started, you were telling me kind of in the green room of an observation that you just had on the jobs numbers that could be very important. Yeah, so I've been... When I'm also involved in a in the vaccine issue. I wrote a book, Cause Unknown, and I've been looking at disability data in the U.S. and the U.K. and elsewhere. And the disability numbers have gone up huge uh, in 21, 22, and continues in 23. We've added about four to five million disabled people in America, as as indicated by the BLS survey. It's just a survey, so it doesn't get down into you know what the causes or the claims are. And uh, Luke Gorman, uh, a, a mainstream economist, pointed out today uh, over the weekend that the, the low unemployment numbers that we're seeing may be affected by people going on, uh, you know, disability roles, so they're not counted. Potentially, we don't have, you know, we don't have all the facts, but I've been saying that, and, and um, my partners and I, and I at Finance Technologies wrote in the economic report that we think the unemployment rate is actually higher if you back out some of the disabled people. So the Fed, unfortunately, may be looking at a signal that's wrong and keep interest rates too high for too long, uh, you know, causing what we believe is going to be a big recession coming in Q3, Q4, and Q1. So this is it's good that, that mainstream economists are starting to pay attention to this disability number, which is, which is crazy. Uh, Luke pointed out we added 1.3 million to uh, the disability survey in the month of uh, um, May and June, and we hit a new all-time high. Uh, of uh, 34.2 million in in June, and you got to remember b- before COVID, uh, it was about and even during COVID uh, 2020, it was uh, the disability numbers were running around 29 to 30 million. So that's a big increase. It's about over 10 percent. Well, so let's put that into relative terms. So in round numbers, it's about five million more people on the disabled ranks, right? Correct. So. That five, so so let's let's just understand how that affects the unemployment rate. So those five million people that are now um, di- are now disabled, you're saying that comes out of the labor force. So therefore, the denominator of unemployed people into a smaller numerator um, that would actually make the unemployment rate that make the unemployment rate rise though. So how's that making the unemployment rate drop? Uh, so. There's about two and a half million. We we figured that about half of the disabled were employed. That, that's ah. when, yeah. So when you when you when 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 you when you dig down into the numbers, uh, we found that of the newly added five million, half were employed, which is which is a problem. 
And, you know, my thesis is that it's the vaccine causing this. People can disagree, but something's going on with the employed population in the U.S. and we found also in the U.K. as well. So two different countries separated by an ocean having the same issue. You know, um, and I'm just doing the math in my head and, um, you know, able to do some quick numbers in my head. It seems to me that that would be based upon the two and a half million people being employed increase the uh, artificially have the unemployment rate lower currently by about 1%. Is that about where yeah. you're, you're we we came up with 0.7 in okay. our report a couple months ago, but the, the numbers have gotten higher since so your your one is higher than our 0.7. Your one is probably more accurate now. We put okay. that out a couple months ago cuz and we've added more disabled people. Wow. And by the way, just glancing over to the uh to the chat window, You've got some fans already saying that uh, people love you and love what you're doing on all fronts and that cause unknown is amazing. And so so you've got some big, big fans in the MBS Highway family here. That's awesome. Uh, look, I know it's a controversial issue and I'm just a guy that, you know, on Wall Street and you do the same thing. We look at patterns and trends and trends have gone off uh, the rails uh, starting in 21, 22 with excess deaths, disabilities. And now we're seeing injuries as well. So there's something going on. I've, I've been saying, and I went to Australia and said the same message, something's going on. If you don't agree with me, at least it needs to be acknowledged and investigated. And currently it's not being talked about. So let, let's, let's go there for a minute. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we typically, we, we try and keep it just strictly uh, on the economic side, but this affects economics. So you know, Absolutely. I know it's controversial, everybody. So listen, let's just, let's just understand that, that, we just want to hear all, all potential sides of this, and it does affect all of us. Uh, you know, as I mentioned to you privately, I said, "Hey, I not only got the um, got got the vaccine myself, but got the boosters as well." You know, because I'm out there and shaking hands and being with people. And uh, and you know, Tony told me this. Tony Robbins told me, and you told me that you know it's something that you're concerned about because you're seeing from those people who got vaccines that that could have caused some issues that people are suffering with. And, you know, listen, I just asked some natural questions. Uh, and the answer you gave me, if you hadn't seen any, any, any kind of side effects that were meaningful for a period of time, then you're probably fine with it. But unfortunately, that may not be true for everybody. So just tell us a little yeah. bit of an overview, because it's an interesting topic. And everybody just remember, we're just exploring this here. So I know it's a sensitive issue, but let's just let's just keep this to where we're, we're just exploring here. Yeah, so I, I, you know, my my kids, uh, I'm I'm divorced, so my kids got vaccinated. My ex-wife did. They're not doing boosters anymore and all that because my, you know, I convinced them to stop. My dad got so this is not about vac vaccinated versus unvaccinated. We all have people we know had to make a decision to do it or not do it. So, but now we have information that that there could be huge safety signals here, and if you haven't really been affected by it, you're probably fine. Uh, the, the good news is the way they distributed this was in such a, a, a fast and furious fashion that a lot of the, the vaccines degraded because it needed to be kept at minus 78 degrees. So if you got vaccinated and it was on the counter for two hours, you got goop in your arm and you're fine. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. Also, it seems to be affecting a, way, a number that's way too large, but some people respond and continue to pr produce spike protein well after they should. So there's some people that are more prone to this than others to be injured. So that, that, that's just the way it is. And if you haven't felt anything, don't freak out and think you get a ticking time bomb in you. But don't get any more. I mean, that, the thing doesn't work. So my, my, you know, I, I've been saying for a while now, what side of the trade do you want to be on? Why would you take something that doesn't work any, you know, at all? It's been proven it doesn't work. So just stop. That's my advice. And it's not about you know, being on one side or the other. It's about getting to the answer. And the answer is something's going, let's forget, let's forget my thesis. Something, the data is the data and the data is devastating. We've added 5 million people in two years to the disability survey. That's just a survey. In the UK, we just dropped a report last week where we look at actual claims cleared and it's a disaster and they give causes and there's something going on where some of these Z scores are, you know, um, well north of 20. Can you just for everybody's benefit, just what a Z-score is? A Z-score is standard deviation. It's also known as you know sigma. Basically, in finance, a three standard deviation event is pretty uh, phenomenal. Uh, it means something uh, extraordinary is going on. It happens 0.3% of the time. Uh, it's an observation that's way off of the average. We have, uh, dis you know, we have causes uh, and human systems going off the rails in these claims in the UK 
up 550% for hematology, which is blood disorders. Uh, we have a cardiac failure going up um, 200, uh, 500%. And then we have uh, just, you can you name it, they've gone off the rail. So at the very least, now we, we you know, as we build the, the body of evidence, the disability uh, roles we saw in the US, which didn't have this kind of granularity, now we now have causes in the UK to explain it. So there's something going on in the population. And economically, if this isn't halted and stopped, it's going to affect global su supply chains, help. You know, there's a lot of people who are wondering, how can we go in a recession with help wanted signs everywhere? Well, this could be part of the explanation. So there's a lot of uh, moving pieces to this, and this will affect uh, global economies for years to come unless we all, you know, have a conversation and, 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 and uh, you know, stop this program as far as I'm concerned. So. It's it's kind of a it's a slow rolling crisis. I went before Senator Ron Johnson in December and said this. I said, look, something happened to the employed population in the U.S. from a macro standpoint, where your health outcomes, if you were employed, were worse than the general U.S. population. That's never happened, both in terms of uh, excess deaths and disability. So that, that's just data, and you can you can disagree with me as to the cause, but it's there and it's not being talked about, and it's going to cause a problem economically. Uh, for years to come unless we address it and figure out what it is. Well, wow, it's uh but I, but I I do want to re reiterate to everybody that uh if you if you did get this uh either the vaccine like I did or the boosters like I did but you're not feeling effects of it then don't freak out, right? You're it's probably fine. And yeah, potentially Absolutely. Okay. Um so let, let's talk a little bit about the effects of some of these things. We talked about the ranks of the disability uh, growing from 29 million to 33, 34 million, something in that range, right, Ed? So, uh, and, and that probably is artificially post pushing the unemployment rate up by about uh, 1%. So instead of 3.6, it'd be 4.6. Certainly the Fed would be stopping right now. Certainly the uh, it, what we'd be seeing would correspond to the inflation numbers coming down. It'd be a very different conversation as to what's going on. Uh, yields would be much lower on bonds. Uh, you know, Ed, one of the things you and I talked about is how some of the numbers were, I don't know, I don't want to use the word manipulated, but but odd. You know, when you we had that population control effect of 810,000 jobs that, that, that was earlier this year, where they took workers from 2022 and they put them into 2023. Uh, there's, there's some stuff that just, that doesn't feel right to me as the way that these these job numbers are being reported. And a lot of the modeling, as you know, it truly doesn't take into account inflection points that that occur. Like I think we're in an inflection point. And and you have the birth death ratio, which measures the openings and closings of businesses. That's a huge lagging indicator. And it has supported the job growth that we've seen in the business survey. In the household survey, it has not been the same. It's been much weaker. And in the household survey, in the most recent report, you had, so, so there's 209,000 jobs. I'm going to go by memory, correct me if I'm wrong, Megan, in the business survey. But I think there was 274,000 jobs in the household survey. But of the 274, 452,000 jobs, part-time creation. So it's really a loss of somewhere around hundred round numbers, 180,000 full-time jobs. That does not speak like a strong housing, like a strong job market to me. Any comments on any of those things, Ed? I'd love to get your insights on that. No, I, I agree with you. There, there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of reclassification tricks going on. Um, so, you know, look, uh, at Finance Technologies, we have these early cycle indicators and they're indicated, you know, they're nine months and 12 months lead, leading indicators. And they started going off uh, the rails down earlier this year, and so we've been predicting a SNL type, SNL '90s type recession for Q3, four, and one, and that's what we're seeing. It, uh, our early cycle indicators ticked up a little bit uh, in the month of May. We haven't done June yet, and that was primarily because the stock market ticked up a little bit, and 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 you know the stock market is kind of hiding what's really going on, and you know you're you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist know it's being led by five, six stocks. And, and that underneath the surface, the average stock is down. So, you know, there, it's, it's masking. So people, you know, that are looking at the, the headline indices are feeling comfortable, but underneath the covers, it's not, it's anything but. And we're just seeing a slow kind of rolling uh, 
uh, de degradation of early cycle indicators that are still buried in, in, and they, have, they, they haven't ticked up to the point where we're, we're calling that, yeah, they saved it and it's going to be a soft landing. We're nowhere near that. And, and the other thing too, is just to your point, one example of one of those generals, those five or six stocks that we all know, the Microsoft, NVIDIA's, Amazon, you know, the Apple, the Apple has increased dramatically. If you look at the stock chart of Apple, it has increased dramatically, but none of it is from either earnings or revenue. It's from multiple expansion. It's gone yeah. from a 22 to a 33 PE multiple. And that's, that, that's a, I don't know, that's, that's a little expensive, don't you think? Yeah, and you know, I, when I used to manage money at BlackRock, I managed versus the benchmark, the S&P 500, or well, in my case, the Russell 1000 Growth Index. And uh, you know, money managers right now are under a lot of pressure because they don't own five stocks; they own usually 80. Okay, and and hedge funds don't own five stocks, so everybody in this market is underperforming the market, and they're crowding into the last five generals. And we know, you and I know how this ends. Once the last buyer goes in and it's all multiple expansion, it's going to roll over soon in, in, our, in our estimation. Um, the, the, the NASDAQ evaluation versus uh, the rest of the stock market is at like 2000 highs, uh, even with, the, with this rally. So it, it, the speculation in these five stocks is off the charts. And, and Apple uh, Apple used to, you know, a lot, a lot of value managers used to talk about Apple having so much cash on the balance sheet. Well, if you look at Apple's cash on the balance sheet, it's way down now. Uh, it's, it's not, they've, they've spent that money on stock buybacks at an increasing uh, multiple expansion event. They usually, corporate, corporate managers usually buy their stocks badly. They buy them at the top and they don't do stock buybacks at the bottom. And they're top ticking right now. They're almost out of cash. Wow. So, I was I was um, cautious on the market, and this you know when we hit about forty two hundred on the S and P this spring, I became more defensive. I've been wrong till right now because it's gone up since then, so I'm I'm on the wrong side of the trade, admittedly. Um, but you know, listening to you here, and you know, listening to my gut, um, I know these things can get further extended to to you know even more unreasonable points, but eventually, eventually the the fundamentals do start to return and you get that. So uh, where are you seeing the S&P uh, from its current level near 4,500, let's just say, um, where do you see it landing? So, it, you know, I you know, you've been on the wrong side of the trade for a couple months, but lo longer term, I think you'll be fine, more than fine, actually. Um, you know, we, we see it cracking probably in the fall. You know, the summer, uh, they, they managed to hold it up uh, in the spring. Uh, and we think the fall is when we're going to see, you know, liquidity and people get, get back to work and see how bad the economy is. And the Treasury's still raising a ton of money, huge deficits. And so be, and interest rates continue to suck liquidity out of the markets. Uh, you know, anecdotally here on Maui, my, my friends who run businesses having trouble getting credit. So yeah. the credit, the credit underneath the economy is definitely being withdrawn. And we know how that ends eventually hits the stock market. Uh, it's just a question of timing. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind the stock market will be a lot lower uh, by the end of this year. Um, just, just when does it when does it start? And there, that you know, there may be a case where we hit a double top in the market, maybe go to a, a slight new high. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't speculate on that. You're, 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 you know, you're a day trader if you're doing that. Got it. Got it. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, what areas that you would be in. Right now, if you put your money manager hat back on and you said, OK, what what either sectors or or where would I be? The people listening on this call, they they probably have you know, interests in in equities and, and the stock market. Is there any parts of the market that you like better than others or, or don't like uh, especially? Well, you know, so growth has been a, uh, on a tear for years and years and years because of low interest rates. And then growth took a hit last year. The rally we've seen this year has been mostly in tech growth stocks. Uh, you know, if, 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 if you have to be in the market, I would look, I, I would be, I'd be tilted towards value. Uh, companies that are generating strong cash flow that don't need to access the capital markets. You want to stay away from anybody that needs uh, to issue IPOs or, you know, get bank credit. Anybody that needs to like go hit the capital markets are going to be shut out at some point soon. It's going to be a problem. 
So strong cash flow companies that are cheap. That I mean, and across any sector. And I think once this breaks, I think we're going to see what we saw in 2000. Uh, growth, growth in the tech bubble really squashed value managers. I think value managers and value style stocks are going to like probably weather the storm better than others and maybe even go up in a down market. Depending, I mean, again, I'm not giving specific stock recommendations. Now, if you're if you're a retail, if, if you're someone that's just worried about, you know, your money losing value, it doesn't hurt to put some of your. I've been telling people for the last year, put some of your portfolio assets in a money market fund because now you're getting paid to sit and wait. Five five percent is good. We had zero for 14 years. Now you get five percent just to kind of pause and and see if you know you and I are right. And I think we're going to be right. Um, and there's certainly enough uncertainty to warrant uh, uh, the fact that the stock market is where it is because of five stocks. And if you want to go buy Apple because you think Apple's going to, you know, its P is going to expand some more, go for it. But that's not that's not how you make money on betting on PE expansion. Got it. Got it. So let's talk a little bit more on the um, on the macro here. One of the things that you and I have discussed and. And uh, when we were at Tony's house, you brought you brought up the um, the decline that we've seen in M2, or you know, or even in, in, in uh, as I mentioned, you know, ODL, you know, other deposits and liabilities. It's it's certainly concerning, especially the rate of change. And uh, you know, David Rosenberg and and Lacey's discussed this, and you know, so many people are concerned about this. Um, but you brought up some really good points that if you measure it on a historical basis. Uh, it doesn't end well for economic conditions, but that should be good for bond prices. Correct. Bonds, I suspect, once once it becomes apparent to the masses uh, that we're hurtling towards it, we're, we're calling for deflation. Uh, and then the deflation will be met with a response from the monetary authorities on the other side. So we're gonna, we, it's called the deflation-inflation roller coaster. So as everybody... It becomes aware that there's a deflationary event going on. Um, uh, it'll become apparent to all, and bond prices should do quite well. The 30-year bond will do well. We already have the biggest inversion we've seen in a while. The real economic damage uh, doesn't come until uh, that, that. So right now, it's predicting economic damage. And once it, that ratio starts to come back in, that's when you're in the, the recession's really getting going. So we're almost there. and. Uh, but I think 30-year bond, again, this is, this is for people who want to speculate. 30-year bonds, I think, are going to be great. 30-year treasuries. How about the 10-year? Uh, the 10-year, the 30-year, they're going to go in a deflationary environment. And, and, and when everyone realizes where we are, uh, the, the bid for those assets are going to go up dramatically. And we're going to see a nice, a nice, uh, a, a nice move in them. Again, I'm not going to, I don't want to give you timing on it, but when, when, when this all comes together, you want to be in bonds. Yeah. Um, someone just put in the chat, Kurt, I saw you put in the chat, you know, and as you know, uh, Kurt and John Walden's letter, he, he's, uh, he's been mentioning me a lot lately. That was been very kind of him, but I'm actually writing, I've written a piece, which you'll see next week in John Walden's letter. Um, but uh, Ed Easterling had written a piece saying that he sees inflation rates going up. And I looked at his math. I just don't agree with his math. He's talking about the rate of inflation change year over year. He's not looking at the actual comparisons. We've seen inflation come come down, um, Ed, from uh, you know nine percent on the CPI to now three percent. It's going to be harder to make some headway here because the comparisons of the ones that you know the the, the twelve months ago comparisons start to get harder. But you could still make some progress. It'll probably come down slower. But what has been more uh, stubborn has been the core rates, and we know that the Fed, although they've given us, uh, hey, we'll, we'll, we're going to we're going to focus on headline because that's what the consumer feels. Oh no, then let's look at this super core, which takes out you know food, energy, and shelter. Well, now that's down to two point seven. So now what is it? Okay, well let's focus on going back to the core rate on PCE and getting that down to two percent over time. Is his quote now? So. Um, at the levels that it's at, we did the math. We think it has a hard time getting to 2% um, anytime soon. By the end of the year, we're lucky we get down to about 3.6 or 3.7. Uh, it'll be too late by then, right? I mean, they're going to keep pressing the, to, to, to hike, hike, hike. And if they're going to be focused on core PCE, they're just going to run this economy into a recession, aren't they? 
Yeah, no, we think this is one of when we look back, this is going to be one of the biggest policy errors we've ever seen. Um, and you know, they've been they keep like you said, they keep switching their focus. Core, you know, core core, whatever whatever it is, unemployment, and we, we just talked about how that could be. Uh, they're looking at the wrong info there. So I think this is a train wreck. And you know, you know, and I know, and Lace and Dr. Lacey Hunt has talked. There's a lag to monetary policy of about twelve to eighteen months, and they started. Uh, hiking in February of 2022, and our, um, our ECI started really dipping at the beginning of this year. So I think the economy, underlying- Employment economy, cost re- index. Yeah. Well, no, no, early cycle indicators. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, those, those, are, those are our proprietary indicators. Our, our ECI started rolling, uh, you know, really, they, are, they started rolling in 22, but they really went negative at the beginning of 23. And- um, we think that uh, eventually this is all going to become reality in the, you know, what we call the um, the herd will finally figure this out. OK, and when they do, it's going to be a stampede and this is going to happen fast in our in our opinion. Um, you know, I want to just talk about M2 again and ODL. Uh, the, the we haven't seen this since 1930. And, you know, what was interesting was as soon as we it started in November of 22, M2 went negative. Uh, and then we saw a bunch of bank failures in March. And, you know, the memory, you know, the market has a goldfish memory and people seem to think that the bank failure situation is all taken care of because of the, you know, the, the loans that the Fed made. That's a Band-Aid. And it wasn't it wasn't QE. QE is not going on. The liquidity continues to get sucked out of the market and, and the banking system. And I think we're going to see bank failures rear their ugly head again in the fall. Uh, I don't think I don't think this story is over. And, and, and you know. We had the, some of the biggest bank failures out of nowhere. I mean, literally, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, that, that was, it happened within a week. You know, we, you and I remember, they were talking about Bear Stearns for months and months beforehand, and then Lehman months and months beforehand, those of us in the market. This kind of caught everybody by surprise out of nowhere. 30 days before that, you had Jim Cramer, not that he's a good indicator, but Jim Cramer featured it on his show. And said at three hundred and eight dollars, this has so much room to run. What a great bank it is, and great this, and great that. Uh, it it was less than thirty days. It was twenty nine days, and uh, and it was over. It was done. It was no longer in existence. Um, so yeah, you're right. It it did happen very very quick. So yeah, I was listening to Jerry Bernstein today, and of course we know you know what he's going to. Everything's great and everything wonderful, of course. Um, but he's saying that the banks aren't really solid shape, and and all now we. We probably should separate the banks, shouldn't we? Because the big banks, they probably are in very good shape, but it's Correct. the regional banks, probably, right? That that right. have issues, right? The regional banks, I think, um, you know, again, people like to get into conspiracies. That I, I'm not in the room. It looks like there's going to be a, gr- a big consolidation of the regional banking system over the next two years because they're upside down in their portfolios, um, and they and, and there's a deposit. Um, just intermediation going on where people are taking their money, you know, slowly but surely everyone's like, oh, I'm getting, I'm, I'm still getting, you know, half a percent in my savings account. Why don't I go into this government money market fund for five? So they're fighting, they're fighting the, the you know, the Fed basically is giving overnight repos to money market or reverse repos to money market funds. So that, that, that gives the money market fund 5% with no counterparty risk. So that's the two trillion in reverse repos the Fed is doing with money market funds and and other institutions. So it's it's the, the regional banks are kind of upside down. This is like the SNL crisis in the '90s, where you know uh, same thing happened. The yield curve got inverted. Uh, they had a lot of uh, illiquid um, uh, real estate on their books. This time they have you know treasuries and and, and MBS, but you know they're underwater to the tune of some of them to thirty percent. Price, you know, they were 100 cents on the dollar. Now they're 70. Now, if they hold their maturity, we know that's not a problem. But if you have, if you, if your deposits are going the wrong way, you have a problem, and they are going the wrong way because because the Fed is is giving people five percent to chill out and wait in in, in a T bill, and probably going to go up the the 26th of this month, another quarter. And if you listen to some people like uh, like Waller, um, you know, and and uh, some of the other uh, Fed members saying that they 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 want more. They 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 think we need to go up, uh, you know, at, at least uh, with two more rate hikes from here. So uh, 
that's only going to exacerbate the problem for regional banks and create a greater haircut on the on, on the valuation of the MBS holdings that they have if they were to if they were to liquidate them to refund the money to customers whose deposits are fleeing for five five and a half percent money market funds. Yeah, exactly. It's only it's only going to make it worse. And you know, when the banking crisis hit, I made a prediction the Fed would probably uh, do an emergency rate cut by the end of June. I was wrong on that, but the, the, but I'm only wrong because the Fed is not seeing the signals that we're seeing. And when they do realize what's going on, I think the emergency rate cut is going to be something we haven't seen before in our in our in our lifetimes. Because because when this happens, it's going to be quick. And instead of a rate cut, though, Ed, you, you really weren't wrong because instead of rate cut, what did they do? They created a, a facility for 430 billion dollars, right? Correct. So yeah, you know they 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 did it with. Um, with more with a, with a version of of QE, I guess they're adding to their balance sheet, right? And then uh, and then the debt ceiling certainly didn't help. And, and and now we have the Treasury's general account, which you know is uh, is being replenished, um, which is probably sucking a little bit of money out of the bond market, right? Absolutely. So uh, the they drew down the gen, the, gen, the Treasury general account into the the the, uh, the debate. And that was actually stimulative because that that added liquidity to the system because they they, they weren't in the market. Now they're replenishing that, and then they're going to have to you know the deficit uh, is coming looming large. There's going to be a giant a slow giant liquidity withdrawal. I think it's going to really exas- get exacerbated in the fall. These things tend to have, uh, for whatever reason, uh, fall t- seems to be the, the the time that liquidity issues rear their ugly head. Uh, I just want to explain a little bit about what you said because it's so important to everyone. Just so you understand the uh, the point here is that the the Treasury has its own kind of like checking account, and when we had hit the debt ceiling, um, because we couldn't borrow more money in order to pay our bills, the money was being paid out of the Treasury's general account. So it got drawn down from I don't know. You, you probably know the numbers better than I do, Ed, but I'm going to guess somewhere around 500 billion. To less than 100 billion, is that about right? Yeah, that's about right, give or take. So 50 billion. So, so maybe 50. So, so now, instead of selling bonds, they're just writing checks. So, because there's no bonds being offered to investors, where were they putting their money? A lot of people believe that they were putting it in equities. So that helped the equity market move higher. But now we are potentially in a position where we're seeing the reverse happen. Now the that that. Treasury, Treasury general account has to be replenished with the sale of bonds. So it's it's sopping up some of the money from investors out there that's going to absorb these treasuries. And we're going to continue to do that till we get that treasury account built up, right? Wouldn't that have potentially an adverse effect over the summer on, on equities to come? Yeah. And let's also not forget, uh, we're uh, the, the deficit uh, it w- is way bigger this year than it was last year. The run rate's huge. And so we're looking at potentially structurally $2 trillion annual deficits. And so that's on top of them replenishing the general account. And that's coming too. So, and, and it, you know, this, this, is a, this is a giant liquidity sucking event. It doesn't happen all at once, but eventually gets to the point where it, it'll, you know, it, it, it'll have its effect when it ha- has a, its effect on the stock market. And we think that's coming anywhere between now and, and, and the fall. What are your thoughts on the commercial real estate market? Because, you know, we know that there are some concerns there. Clearly, you know, we know that work from anywhere is making office space le- less needed, and we also know that it creates another problem in that if you own office space and you have a loan that's rolling, that's an adjustable loan, like almost all commercial loans are. Uh, when that roll comes, when your initial rate that you had is up you're more than likely going to be at a rate that's significantly higher and on large dollar amounts that's going to create some that's going to create some maybe a double whammy i'm paying more if i own that real estate because my loan terms uh, the interest rate went up but i'm also likely getting less because there's less of a need or demand for my space if i've got office space you know how do you do you, do you first of all do you agree with that kind of uh, thought process and then what do you think happens there yeah, I know. So, so this is a big problem. It's well, you know, it's a it's a looming problem. Everybody know everybody can see the debt that needs to be re- refinanced, and they know it's coming. And it's already, I think, it's already having impacts on property prices. Uh, we've seen some San, San Francisco prices that 
that just cleared it big losses. We're hearing stories of Blackstone trying to unload some of their portfolios. And, you know, you can, you might say, well, why do I care? I'm not in the commercial real estate. Well, the problem is, you know, a lot of regional banks and banks have commercial real estate loans on their books. And if these start to go underwater, they're going to tighten the credit that they extend to the rest of the economy. So it has, it's the knock-on effect that this has in the credit system. It's not so much, oh, I'm not I don't care about commercial real estate. Well, you should because it's gonna it's gonna cause a liquidity crisis elsewhere that will then kind of feed on itself. That's the problem. And I want to make sure I make the distinction that we're talking commercial real estate, residential real estate. Uh, at least from my perspective, still looks very very good to us. We just we think that there's good reason to believe that um, the amount of qualified buyers is still overwhelming the amount of inventory that's out there, and also a lot of these things that Ed's talking about will likely lead to mortgage rates you know, coming down over time. And that will probably be a, 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 a help to the real estate market on the residential side. I mean, do you agree with those thoughts, Ed? I think, you know, look, it's hard to predict what's going to, if there's a, a big economic crisis, real estate, residential prices will be hit. But I think it'll hold up way better than a lot of people think. We're more worried about the residential real estate market after 2025. There's a demographic uh, headwind that starts to emerge then. So that's that's when we get really concerned about residential real estate. We, we're on record talking about that. My partner, Carlos Allegri, has done it. He's, he's wrote a book, Economic Cycles, Debt and Demographics. He does a lot of work on this. And that's when we're, we're worried after 2025. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that's something clearly we're all interested in. Yeah. So we a lot of, a lot of our uh, work is built upon short-term indicators and then longer-term indicators and demographic plays a big big role. Uh, China hit a demographic wall in 2020. They're now on a decline. And uh, what you're hearing out of China is really what's going on with their demographics. It's kind of a slow, you know, the, the, the days of uh, double-digit growth for them are over. Uh, and that's, that's a problem geopolitically for the rest of us because China is gonna try to hold on to power and create distractions. Uh, the southern countries of Europe have demographic issues, and so we think long term the euro. Uh, it's not a question of if, but when the euro has a has, you know has a problem, and 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 there's going to be, you know, headlines about countries wanting to get out from underneath it. So there's a lot of demographic headwinds. The good news is long term the U.S. is like the the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry. Our demographics are kind of better still than most everyone else. Which is good news. Uh, so I don't want to alarm people about the U.S. I, I, look, we're going into a recession. I think the U.S. is still going to be great coming out the other side of this because it's just we we still have uh, a lot of things going for us compared to the rest of the globe. You know, and I love I love our you know we we get a chance to talk to you and I, I love it because you know on so many fronts you're you're extraordinarily knowledgeable and and you have just a brilliant thought process. I just want to ask you, is there anything that, that you're seeing out there just in general? We can go anywhere here uh, that you want to talk about. Is there any, any topic that you think that maybe people aren't paying attention to that should be paid attention to right now? I think we covered the big ones. I mean, I think, I, I think the thing that, that we're going to look back historically, we're going to see the Fed made the greatest policy error ever in the history of, of, of Fed policy decisions. I, I don't think people understand. We were in a 14-year uh, zero interest rate regime, and that... The, those 14 years, a lot of people had to reach for yield. And we don't even know who's holding, we call it holding, who's holding the old maid. A lot of people extended for returns, took on a lot of risk, never thought interest rates would rise. And here we are, uh, the Fed has gone from zero to five, uh, five plus percent in a little over a year. And that's the fastest rate increase percentage wise we've ever seen. The rate of change is, is, is what's the problem here. And, uh, I think we don't know what's coming and we don't know who reached for yield. I mean, we saw a little bit of it with the UK pension problem. Uh, they were, you know, they, the UK had to turn tail and uh, bail out their pension system. That's what I'm worried about is all the people out there in, in uh, investment land that had to reach for yield and took on more risk than they thought they took. Yeah. Um, we, we actually, you know, there's a very famous picture of a, uh, people um, building the Empire State Building and they were on a girder having lunch pails and so comfortable out there. So uh, Dan kind of edited it and he put a picture of, like grandma sitting on there and that's what it was like. It was like, you know, 
people that are comfortable with risks on these high level girders, you know, that are investors. But now you got grandma because there's nowhere else to go reaching for yield and taking unnecessary risk. You know, so we agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, Megan, you, you probably have been monitoring much better than I have what's going on in maybe um, the chat from people and seeing if there's any questions maybe that people would like to address. So perhaps uh, perhaps you can bring up some questions that uh, that that the listeners are uh, or the viewers are thinking uh, that they'd love Ed to discuss. Well, first, Ed, I just want to say kudos on your book and everything and the research that you're putting out there. We got tons of comments on people thanking you for speaking truth. Um, now, we just got a good question in from Carl here. You know, with a lot of the negative indicators that we're seeing, are you seeing anything on the positive side? Uh, okay, this is going to sound ridiculous, but uh, not not on the positive side, but when the asset price is correct, and, he, and you've been smart and you know doing what Barry's been doing, although we're, we're a little early in the, into this rally, you're going to have phenomenal investing opportunities. So I like to, what, what's coming is going to be great for those of us who are prepared and take advantage of it. There's going to be uh, lifetime buying opportunities coming soon. And that's how a lot of people in 09 who still had capital got rich. I mean, you could buy, you could have bought Las Vegas Sands at $2.78 if you if you bottom ticked it and went back up to 175. I mean, these are the types of opportunities that are coming. So I, I, I'm kind of a believer that we need a clearing of this. We need to reset prices so that future returns can be made. So that's kind of, I know it's all negative, but that's the positive side that's coming if you're prepared. So if you're prepared, you should be happy that this comes and then you can, you can, you can, uh, and again, you don't need to pick the bottom. You can just know that when uh, the headlines are the world's ending and everyone's freaking out and all your neighbors are talking about it, that's, you know, that's when you buy, you buy when everyone's freaking out and selling. And I was on the beach of Maui this weekend and a woman came up to me all worried about when do I go back in? I go, you'll know all your friends will be selling. As um, Nathan Mayer Rothschild, Baron Rothschild said, you buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Correct. <laughs> so so that, yeah. that's 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 the positive I see is that it's going to be great for those of us who know what we're doing and 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 are prepared. And you know, uh, tops tops take a long time to form. Uh, bottoms form very quickly into lots of fear. So we're we're getting closer and closer to an inflection point. And when this happens, we suspect it's going to be fast. And it's gonna it's gonna freak everybody out. But you know the the key is to you know keep your head on your shoulders, don't have fear, and you know start start dipping in slowly when the headlines are the worst. Yeah, Violetta, you know the rest of the uh, rest of the of the quote I see. Correct, oh. even if it's your own blood, that's correct. That is yeah. the rest of the quote. Now I have just a clarification question. So you said that in fall, that's when this liquidity crisis is really going to hit. Now, do you believe that that's because, like, what is going to be the turning point that's going to lead into this liquidity crisis? I believe that you mentioned that it's going to be the stock market. Well, no, the stock market is 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 a is is um is not what's going to cause it. It's the bond market that controls everything. So it's, what's going on is that credit is tightening all over the globe, and eventually it'll re be reflected in the stock market, and that's when. That's when the herd wakes up. It's already going on. The liquidity is slowly leaking from the system. That started really badly in November of 2022. Um, and the, the stock market kind of anticipated that in, in, in January of 22. And the stock markets have what we call a, counter, a bear market counter trend rally. And it'll catch up soon enough. But it's not, it's not something that you know, is going to cause the liquidity crisis. It'll be, it'll be a, a, a casualty of the liquidity crisis. Understood. Um, we had another question come in here. Well, a clarification on the demographics that you mentioned in 2025. Now, you had mentioned what's going on in China and other places. Can you expand a little bit about what you believe is going to be the demographics within the United States? Well, the, the, the housing issue is prime earners. Uh, uh, the millennials are going to kind of start to roll over as a group because they've been kind of driving a little bit of this housing market, even though people say millennials can't buy housing, but they have been. They're, uh, according to Carlos's work, that's when that, 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 that flips the other way starting in 2025. And we, we target a certain age group uh, that hits their prime earning years when they usually buy homes. 
Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, Megan, any, any other, any other questions that you're seeing on it? I'm, I'm seeing some things on a, on a more global basis. If you'd like to comment, you know, there's concerns about either China attacking Taiwan, which I don't think will happen, but I'd love to get your thoughts. And also there's thoughts on uh, world's reserve currency status for the U S does that change being challenged? Well, so let's go to the world reserve currency status. Wars will be fought over that. So that's not something I'm worried about anytime soon. Um, the military industrial complex will not give up the right to print money and fund everything. So I think, I think the world reserve status is, is there. But what's different is due to the weak leadership in the White House and what's going on, the things that used to be said in the back rooms are now they're saying out in public, the BRICS are talking about this gold thing. They're going to have a conference in August. I think a lot of headlines are going to come out of it. I don't think these countries are going to agree on anything. The dollar is still king. You know, 90% of uh, all uh, currency transactions, seven and a half trillion a day. The other side is the dollar. So, and you know, the world trade is still the dollar. Um, is it being challenged? Yes. And I think we need to worry about that. We need strong leadership in the White House. And we need to get our own house in order to become the leader again. Um, so this is a concern. I'm not worried about it yet. Um, and and I, I think India is a question mark in this BRICS situation. There's all sorts of reports India may be in, they may be out. China doesn't trust India. India doesn't trust China. You know, there's a, th this sounds more like just poking, poking the eye of the U.S. rather than them getting serious, seriously together, in my humble opinion. So I know you mentioned, you know, leadership in the White House. So, so any, any speculation on um, what happens in 2024 as far as who, who might emerge as someone who might be a, a leading presidential candidate in 2024 that you think? Well, so uh, Biden really hasn't put together a campaign yet. Apparently, there's not a lot of uh, fundraising going on. Uh, so there's chatter and speculation that he may, does it, his heart's not in it. Someone else may come forward and, and, and do this. Obviously, uh, many of you may or may not know, I'm working with Bobby Kennedy uh, on his campaign. I'm a co-treasurer. I'm supporting Bobby because he's of his platform of free speech, medical autonomy, and just he's just a truth teller. And that, th these are conversations we need to have. I'm hopeful that he can win the Democratic uh, uh, nomination. But, you know, the DNC and both the GOP, they're both corrupt organizations. And uh, they try to anoint who they want rather than what the people want. And, the, you know, the, the, the groundswell of support for Bobby is off the hook. The mainstream media does want, doesn't want to touch him with the 10-foot pole. So I'm hopeful he can do something. Uh, but if, if not, uh, you know, I'd hate to see it. I, the worst case scenario for the U.S. is Trump Biden again. That, that would be a disaster, in my humble opinion. So you know, I um, listen, and, and guys, please let's 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 all be you know let's understand. We're just talking here, and that's the wonderful thing about this is we can we can have discussions in a civil way. You know, we're not you know that's that's what we want to do, right? We want to rise above all this because that's that's how you get to understanding people, understanding each other. Even if your opinions differ, it's great to have a good conversation, right? So. Um, I had dinner with one of the most fascinating dinners I've had in my life, okay, um, is with Roger Stone. So I've gotten to know Roger a little bit, you know, and Roger is about as polarizing a figure as there is. And, um, you know, he asked me <laughs> to be on, <laughs> he, he asked me to be on his show and I was on his show and then and we, we wound up going to dinner the other night. I cannot tell you, I mean, my, my brain was just, first of all, the man, if you, you, people either love him or they don't like him at all. Right. But, but the, the man is, is incredibly articulate and he has the insight i mean this is a guy who worked with with nixon he's got nixon's tattooed on his back as you know probably um <laughs> he he uh he he worked with reagan you know and um he also discovered trump as a presidential candidate convinced trump to, to become president and he's working with him right now so you know again maybe you love him maybe you hate him whatever but the man's had some really has some incredible insights and he's really honest about it like you know like even though he's working to try and get Trump elected he's got a lot of concerns and he doesn't think in many cases that he would win uh, an election and he says that the democratic candidate he's very much in alignment with what you're saying about Biden although his difference is he thinks that Biden really wants it he actually thinks those in his own party We'll figure out a way to not have him be there. Right. 
Um, but he thinks that Michelle Obama will be the candidate. And that's, that's, what, that's what his thought is, is that it would be Michelle Obama. And I, I first heard that, I was like, wow, that is not interesting. And, um, and he, what he said was that he fears that, you know, in, in a situation like that, that, you know, it puts Donald Trump in a tough situation because, you know, maybe Trump says something out of line and offends a woman, you know, and, and it makes it very, very difficult for him in those situations. So um, he's, he, even though he's, he's obviously trying to help Trump get elected, he, he is concerned that, uh, that that type of a matchup wouldn't work well for Donald Trump. Now, that, that, that would be a tough one. D Donald, uh, you know, look, I voted for Trump uh, the first two times. I can't support him because of his stance on the vaccine issue. But, you know, he his own worst enemy is Donald Trump. And if he could just, you know, curtail some of his rhetoric, because uh, people are inflamed against him by some of the things he says that are not necessary to say. And I think if he could if he could figure out a way to, you know, not inflame the situation, he'd be better off. But he's Donald, and Donald is Donald. Yes, yes, um, definitely a very, you know, very another very polarizing individual. You know, of uh, you know, maybe personality-wise, it's easy for people not to like him. But uh, you know, that, that's for for people to make their own decisions, right? So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, you know, whether you like the policies and you feel that's more important or whether you like the personalities and feel that's more important, that's the decision that, that, that people make. Right. So that's what makes it an interesting horse race. Um, Megan, any other things that people, um, are, are potentially interested in because we've got a couple of minutes here to wrap up. Um, and I want to make sure that if, if we have some good questions, we bring that to the front. Um, well, going back to the birth rates, you know, we talked about millennials and that prime age kind of rolling over, but have you done the research on Gen Z a little bit and seeing when that age is going to come into potentially, you know, prime purchasing of a home? And also in line with that, I believe it was Carlos that's doing that research. Can you state the name of his book again? Economic Cycles, Debt and Demographics, Carlos Allegria, available on Amazon. It, it's 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 a it's 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 a great book, but it's not an easy read. So, um, but I encourage people to read it because there's a lot of good information in there about how we view the world and demographics. And we, you know, and he updated it during COVID. He wrote a second edition, and that's where he predicted inflation was coming, and he was dead spot on uh, when when he wrote this, the uh, second edition. Um, Gen Z won't be affecting the the, the housing market for. for anytime soon. So we're not even going to talk about that right now. That's, that's decades away. Um, but, you know, demographics are destiny. And, you know, what Carlos discovered was the prime age of the boomers literally rolled over in 2008. And that what did we have in 2008? We had the great financial crisis and a housing problem. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, you can you can look at these things and they're they're slow, 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 and then 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 they have a huge impact. I can see that. I can I can see that. You know, two thousand and eight. I agree with you. A lot of other things happening there too. You know, the builders overbuilding. You know, there's there's yeah yeah stuff. yeah lot, lots of things. But it was it was it was interesting how that hit at the same time. You're you're hundred percent correct. You're hundred percent correct. Um, listen, your book is an amazing book and an amazing read. And there's a lot of people that talked about it. And a lot of people said that they loved your book. Just tell people how they can get it. And let's just talk about that real quick. Maybe just let, let talk about your book for a minute here, if you don't mind. Yeah. So cause unknown, the epidemic of sudden death in 21 and 22. Look, it's a book I wrote for my loved ones. I wrote, wrote it from a wall street point of view. Uh, we left out intentionally the who and the why, because I don't know the who and the why it just is. And we just present data that shows that something devastating is going on in terms of uh, excess deaths amongst young people, disabilities, and this is going on also in Europe. We have dat Europe from dat uh, data from Europe and whatnot. I talk some about, of the numbers that what's up, just tell us what's some of the numbers. Uh, so in, in, in 2021, uh, starting in February of 2021 into the, the high of last year, September of 22, and then into November, we added 3.2 million disabled people. Half of them were employed and the, the disability rate for employed went up 31%. The disability rate for the general US population went up 8%. That's not supposed to happen because the employed are the most healthy amongst us. 
because uh, the physical act of being between ages of 16 and 64 and getting to work, your health status is usually a lot better. This all flipped in 2021 and 22. Excess deaths from the Society of Actuaries flipped in 21. Uh, they reported 40% excess deaths between ages 25 and 64 in their group life policies. Traditionally, that is inverted to the general U.S. population. The general U.S. population had excess deaths of 32% in 2021. This is a group that generally dies at one-third the rate of the general U.S. population in any given year because they're just healthy, access to best health care. They're the elite amongst us, Fortune 500, mid-sized companies. So those are the numbers in the book. I talk about those numbers in the book, and I conclude that it's been detrimental to your health to be employed in 21 and 22. I blame the vaccine. That's my thesis. I'm an investor. And I said, at the very least, if it's not that, what is it? Why aren't we talking about these numbers? Because the health authorities see these numbers that I see, and it's still crickets on the uh, on the healthcare front. It's a pandemic that no one wants to talk about that's occurring now. Well, if I may also say something that you shared with me and with Tony Robbins, um, when you made this statement, I was like, whoa, that's a, that's a statement. You, I, I believe, and I just want to make sure I get this right, you felt that it's possible that there were more deaths from the response to the pandemic than the pandemic. Correct. And, you know, I went to Australia about a month ago and I presented my excess death analysis for Australia. And I, I said, look, I think it's a vaccine, but here are the numbers for you guys in Australia. Minus 2% excess death in 2020, plus 4% in 21, plus 16% in 2022. I said, regardless of whether you believe me or not, the response to the pandemic has resulted in more deaths in 22 than the actual pandemic, excessively in Australia. So I said, at the very least, you need to ask your health authorities what's going on and have some investigations. So at the very least, there's something going on. The data is the data. The math is the math. And you don't have to agree with me, but it's a silent crisis that no one wants to talk about. Well, and let's remember one thing just for everybody's sake, because we all kind of start to, to think, and I was one who started to think, and that's why I called you at And you said, <laughs> and remember this, if you haven't felt anything by now, you're probably fine by now, right? You're probably over the hump. You're, you're probably over the hump and just don't get any boosters. I mean, it's, it's Dr. Ryan Cole was here on Maui last week, and he literally says the whole mRNA platform needs to be abolished. And he said, do not get any mRNA platform vaccines ever, ever, ever again. Well, um, I, I feel so um, grateful for the valuable time of yours that you spent with us. I'm, I'm grateful for our friendship and uh, admire the work that you do. And I know that you do it with nothing but great intentions. There's nothing that you're looking to gain. I, I, I know that you're not writing books because you need the money for the books. You're, you know, extraordinary successful money manager um you, you uh you're just trying to do good out there i am very grateful and appreciative uh again my friend and i know megan and our, our uh, we're, as we're, we're getting so many nice comments here uh for people thanking you thank you guys and look if you really want to uh you know spread awareness we have a website financetechnologies.com so it's spelled ph instead of an f we have something called the humanity project all of our data is there for the world to see it's a pretty compelling case when you go through it and, uh, you know, point people to that website. Interestingly enough, uh, my LinkedIn views uh, from consulting companies is off the charts. They, I think they're using our research to kind of inform their own, uh, uh, their own um, decisions at the moment. Well, get the book. Megan, um, as always, you are a great host, hostess. <laughs> um, but thank you, Megan. Yes, I did put the link to his website finance technologies in the chat box. So go ahead and check that out. And his link is in there as well. And I just want to say thank you to everyone tuning in today. And Ed, thank you so much. And Megan, people are asking because they really enjoy oh, so many nice comments. Ed really appreciated how many uh, wonderful comments and people asking Megan uh, recording. Yes, you guys go follow us on YouTube. You will find every live webinar recording on our YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe. We would appreciate that. And by the way, Megan, we'll probably put this in Barry's Insights or something like that, right? We'll, we'll let our subscribers know, right? Do well. Right. You got it. Ed, God bless you, man. Thank you so much, my dear friend. Let's let's please make sure we keep in touch. And when you're on this side of the of the ocean, you know, make sure we get together. Absolutely, Barry. Thanks for having me on, Megan. Thank you for uh, monitoring and uh, running the show here. Thanks.
Thanks, man. You crushed it. Be well, everybody. Thank you so much.